You're listening to The Nick Holt Show. My guest on today's program is writer and political commentator Caroline DeRusso. Caroline is a regular contributor to Sky News 2GB, Spectator Magazine, and the Daily Telegraph. And she joins me now. Caroline, thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a long time. It has, and, and a lot's happened in that time, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. Really has. One thing that has happened is that a lot of people have been proven to be wildly incorrect, and a few people have proven to be correct. And I put you in that category uh, as someone who can probably look back at what they've posted and written and be fairly comfortable with it. I'm pretty comfortable with most of it. I mean, I think during COVID, we all got a bit angry. We were all um, frustrated by the position in, in which we found ourselves. We couldn't travel. We couldn't see our family. People couldn't earn a living and that sort of thing. And that there is always going to make people angsty. Um, but when I go back and I look um, at how many times I said, look, can't we have a measured response? Why do we have to go the nuclear option on everything? You know, I don't think that everyone's mm. going to die if they go and watch a, a, a sunset or if they let their kids play on a playground. Like there, there were so many of those, those markedly insane things which I just couldn't let slide. Mm. Um, and similarly with the vaccine rollout, I, I really took the view that, you know, unless you're in frontline healthcare or aged care, it, it really didn't need to be mandated and people should <clears throat> be allowed to have a choice over whether they got vaccinated, which obviously no one was allowed to have choice. And then the decision comes down in the Supreme Court of Roe v. Wade and all of a sudden bodily autonomy is fashionable again. And and I, I have just found that 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 total hypocrisy and that total paradox really quite um, difficult to to stomach, I suppose. But when I look back, um, you know, I, I don't, I still don't think that the internal borders should have been shut. No, I, I'm pretty comfortable. I am pretty comfortable that we could have put in place reasonable measures and and still ended up with a decent outcome. That's right. Because now we've got the consequences, Nick. Now we've got all the kids who have missed school or, or the, the kids who have got developmental difficulties. We had a shadow pandemic of domestic violence. We have people not being able to earn a living. And you put all those things together in the two columns. And I wonder whether um, a lot of those measures really gave us a net benefit. I think we're actually starting to see that most of them clearly didn't. Yeah, correct. And, and some of it was foreseeable, some of it not necessarily foreseeable, but, but plenty of it was totally foreseeable. Through active caution. Correct. Of wanting to exercise caution rather than irrationality. To me, that was the extraordinary thing about this pandemic was the massive message from public health about following science, you know, mm. trusting science. And then on the other hand, just the uh, extremely irrational human behaviour that mm. kind of actually subverted the scientific method. Yeah, yeah, correct. But no one wanted to be responsible for their own behaviour. They're like, public health is going to look after us all. No, 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 you need to look after you. You need to look after you. 
and there, there was just this total divorce of of safety and personal responsibility and it became a government job and you tried to take a position that was even two percent or five percent or ten percent less than that nuclear option and and it wasn't called nuance it wasn't called oh well or someone's thinking a bit or someone's trying to consider other things it was the only response was a health response and if you didn't want that full tote odds response you were obviously a granny killer Mm. and now what we're seeing in an economic sense nick is stuff that was totally foreseeable. The Treasurer Jim Chalmers said this week that, you know, the budget update was confronting. I'm like, confronting for who? (laughs) Who's surprised by any of this? I tweeted in, I think it was April 2020, Mm. about, you know, about government spending and and inflation. Yep. And now all of a sudden we've got inflation, but it's Putin's fault. I'm like, well, (laughs) some of it is commodity price related, sure, but a lot of it... Um, a lot of it is is as a result of government policy. You look at yeah. housing prices, that's yeah. not Putin's fault. No. That's government policy. Of course it is. Now it's all here. The consequences have all landed. Um, the labour shortages, you know, you know, tourism is still trying to get back on its feet. There's a whole raft of issues which are consequences of the steps that we took in the pandemic, which no one wanted to consider because they weren't health it was only health right we couldn't think about anything except health and now we're in this position where okay if we look at our broader context of health and well-being and and prosperity well how much better off are we for for having taken that hard health response Hmm. and you, you mentioned their consequences i think the other point on that i would add is that we don't know yet the consequences of the consequences, right? No, correct. I think, Nick, we're going to, we will see the aftermath of this, you know, even five years down the track, even more, particularly when you start talking about, you know, the the shadow pandemic of mental health, how that has affected, you know, particularly those kids who are in their their teens and their early 20s, those, those formative years, going forward, they're, they're, they're meant to be our next crop um, of business leaders, of, of political leaders, um, and, and they're all terrified of everything. And you, you wonder how much those two years of the pandemic is going to affect their long-term development. As professionals or as human beings? Both, both. It'll affect because both. the reason I ask that is it's an interesting point you raise is that you have obviously the, the compounding effects on mental health of just what it is to be a, at least have the the right or the fair chance to be a happy, healthy human being. Yeah. But then you also have the professional industry um, of yeah. well, what do we do? I'll oh, just lock it down. Yeah, correct. Wow, just just shut it down. Tell them to stay home. And I think we're already seeing that. Well, we are. And we had that part, obviously, during the pandemic itself. But now we're starting to get into a little bit of an uncertain economic situation. We have historically low unemployment at the moment. It's 3.5%. We will get the next set of inflation figures on the 27th of July. We'll get the budget update on the 28th of July. So no doubt that they're waiting to see. And they are very important figures because they will show what has happened in that previous quarter um, and that they will obviously inform government policy going forward. But, you know, Nick, even people you're my age 
we weren't financially responsible at the time of the last recession, which was in the early 90s. Now, people can talk about the GFC. The GFC really didn't impact in Australia like it did in the US. Uh, it was a financial liquidity crisis. And really, unless, unless you owned a home or, you know, you had um, derivative type investment, like it didn't, it was, it was a bit more narrow. Um, but the last broad recession was in the early 90s. I was in primary school. You've now got these, these kids and these young people who are essentially going from the pan into the fire because they've just got through this health crisis and now we're looking at a rather, you know, I, I, no one knows what it's going to be like, but it is looking like a rather uncomfortable economic situation. I don't know that people have kind of grasped that yet because we're still handing out cash. We are. And, and the thing is, you know, really until recent months, it wasn't cropping up in economic indicators, most of which have a lag in them anyway, but it wasn't really cropping up in economic indicators. And, and the RBA, you know, they may have been considering it, but it wasn't being reflective in their policy. I mean, we saw that small interest rate rise just before the election. We've had two 50, point, um, 50 basis point rises since the election no doubt we'll be in for some more. Bank of Canada uh, last week put up interest rates 100 basis points. The US has had two 75 basis point increases. So, so, and, and the RBNZ has been very, very bullish mm. on, on moving interest rates. You know, I, I do note that they are from a, a very historical low. So it is going to take a bit of lifting even to get them to historically low-ish rates, right? Like we're starting from a very low base, but proportionally they're big increases. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see how, how that kind of flows through. I mean, a lot of people carry a lot of debt. I don't personally, but a lot of people do. And that there will then affect um, demand spending. That'll affect their ability to obviously save money, their, their ability um, to, to be able to source even non-discretionary spending, things like healthcare, things, you know, and those things are important. And, and depending on the level of debt that they've got and how much ends up going to service that debt, that could really pinch on living standards. Yeah, and also the kids, you know, when I say kids, I'm talking more sort of 18 to 24, 25, what we might call the afterpay generation. Uh, they've got a lot of money that they've racked up on debt through afterpay. And zip and these other things, right? And on all sorts of things. Um, that, I mean, I guess with afterpay, you know, it tends to be pretty um, short-term lending. Is there a cap there on what you can? It is about a thousand bucks, and I think for some people who've been using it a long time and have a good record with afterpay, I think it allows you up to two thousand. But don't quote me on it. Um, but it, but it is you know it is generally short term um, lending, uh, but it's still it's a cultural thing of not saving the money. Um, it is the cultural thing of um, that immediate um, satisfaction that that immediate you know having what you want as soon as as soon as you want it. Which I imagine is where the reason why you bought that lovely uh, leopard print. No, it's not actually. Saw oh, it on and eBay. this is the irony of it, right? I buy all my clothes secondhand. I buy everything secondhand. Yeah, so do I mostly, or from or from Kmart. Totally. I buy everything secondhand. And um, my best friend and I are the same 
uh, clothes and shoe size. So this is actually out of her wardrobe. So we shop each other's wardrobes all the time. My mates have wives and kids. Um, and one of them the other day, his wife was like, oh, hey, I need to get rid of some of uh, yeah. my mate's his clothes and my mate you could just see him kind of like clinging onto them and she's just dragging out a bag of designer suits and stuff and i'm going through them well gant get away <laughs> i only take i only take lacrosse uh, lacoste or higher yeah, yeah i only take the good stuff so was- but yeah look i see the point it's a good one um i you know i, I think that economically i'm not an economist i'm not even a, a hobby economist but there's some common sense stuff that I saw early on that you saw you lock down the economies, not just of China, but of our own country. Clearly that's going to have economic consequences to other people then saying you're a grandma killer for even suggesting that. Like that's very bizarre human behavior. Yeah, it is. It is very bizarre. And if you think about the way that our economy operated pre-COVID, it goes 24 hours a day globally, right? And, and small changes over here can have rather large changes over there, you know? So, so the, the whole idea of just shutting down an economy and thinking you can put it into hibernation and then just flick the switch back on, dump some cash in and everything will be fine is crude. Yeah, and it shows a real lack of wisdom, I'd say. Wisdom is the benefit is learning from your mistakes, is a benefit of experience. It's part of the human condition, as in it can be exercised and it can be acquired or it can not be acquired. And when it's not acquired in people that hold rather serious and controlling positions amongst uh, the decisions that are made within our society, then you are making decisions that aren't based on any wisdom at all. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've got to think, we shut down our economy because China shut theirs down. We had a pandemic plan um, in place before COVID. There were no lockdowns in it. So how did we just go from this is our plan and this is what we do in these sorts of situations to, oh, my God, we're terrified, let's just do whatever China does? I can understand perhaps maybe the, the very initial you know, four weeks, six weeks, where we just had no idea what this was and what it, we just had no idea. I will give leeway for that. But, you know, now we've got a population that is very highly vaccinated and there's still people calling for, um, for mandates, of, uh, for, you know, partial lockdowns. And I'm... And then, then on the other hand, they're, they're complaining about labour shortages. And I'm like, well, they're mutually exclusive. It's like oil and water. And they just, they don't seem to, to, to join the dots between how the, the former impacts the latter. Yeah, well, if there's irrationality back there, it's not going to stop down the line here. People may get less irrational, I think, in terms of, the kind of absurd health measures and stuff, but they're going to get just as, if not, maybe if not more, irrational about digging their way out of this hole. Um, But I would just add to that, Caroline, that my attitude at the beginning of this was, well, we kind of do have an idea of what this 
thing is, um, based on what we're hearing from the WHO out of Wuhan, right? Mm. The early reports, I was following this from day one. We knew that it was a, like pneumonia. If you remember, the WHO initially said two people had died of what they believe is similar to pneumonia. And then they started reporting that it had come from the wet market. And then they said it's a variant of coronavirus. So this was a variation of SARS, right? Then we based pandemic plants, which were the gold standard anywhere in the world, obviously, right? No. Based on various different epidemic scenarios of which, as Adam Crichton spoke in my last episode, were far worse than COVID. Yet we still followed China. So I think we had a tiny idea. No, no, I just, I find it unbelievable. I find it unbelievable. Well, it is un- unbelievable, which means that it should be um, approached from a position of trying to understand why it was believable to them to make those political decisions. Mm. I'd like your take on the political side of this. The problem with the political position, and this again, you know, when you go back to the wisdom and experience thing, when you have got political leaders who don't have a great deal of personal experience, they are unable to identify, um, assess and, and mitigate risk. Right. So when you've got career politicians who have, who have not had business experience or they've not had professional experience or they've not had, and, and, I, and I don't mean like just office jobs, I mean professional experience broadly, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, um, in, in roles particularly which are in, in the private sector and for which you're accountable and there's KPIs and all those sorts, you, your brain functions differently when there's a problem and you go to solve it. Um, what we essentially saw, and, and for most part of this, was um, political leaders deciding to blindly follow the health advice mm. to, to almost um, make them immune from responsibility. Absolutely. And so this is why these things became wholly health issues and health um, matters because they went, oh, well, this is the health advice and we're following the health advice. So there was no, this is how we're guided by the health advice and these are the political decisions that we're going to base on that health advice. Um, and, And the health advice was solely related to COVID. The health advice didn't take into account things like domestic violence. It didn't take into account things like, you know, people not getting enough exercise or people being stuck at home, the mental health, it didn't consider all that. It considered this this myopic version of health um, and then the political decisions were made on the basis of that myopic version of of health and and that's why we have all these other consequences. But but for politicians who uh, didn't necessarily have the political will or the political capability, it was their way essentially of um, becoming immune from responsibility. Mm-hmm. And we saw how well that worked in, um, in those early elections, the, the, uh, the Northern Territory election, the Queensland election and the WA election, where um, the governments were essentially rewarded for not doing their job. 
they were rewarded for not doing their job. We never saw any of this health advice. That's the bit that I find really extraordinary is that we were told that this was a health advice. No one ever saw it. So we don't know whether the decisions that were made were actually on the basis of said health advice. We were just expected to believe that they were. And that they all work for a time until the virus started to mutate and lessen in severity. Although, yes, we know it became, you know, easier to catch, but it became less severe. Um, we became vaccinated um, and the rest of the world started opening up. And then all of a sudden, those governments were punished for pandemic responses whether they were good responses or not good responses. Um, and, and we saw that with the South Australian election result and we saw that with the, the federal government election result. There are a whole bunch of other reasons why the South Australian government lost and there's a whole bunch of other reasons why the federal government lost. So again, I don't want to be myopic in my analysis of it, but save us to say that pandemic response did not get them over the line following health advice did not get them over the line like it absolutely rushed in those earlier um those earlier governments yeah i agree with pretty much everything you just said there and it's a really uh, interesting take on it one which i i think is is correct because the way that you can measure whether or not that's correct is by like you said the fact that they were rewarded by state government elections so the the, the problem now is that there wasn't a chance to punish Anastasia Palaszczuk and Mark McGowan because they were re-elected at the peak. Correct. So that was, I think, October 2020 and March 2021. By the time they come back round again, it will be um, October 24 and March 25. And uh, this year will be well um, in the rear vision mirror by then mm. the consequences won't necessarily be but whether there is um the 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 appetite to link them or whether is there is the care within the electorate to link them is a whole different point okay let's talk about uh, a new sort of side endeavor you've got going on right now you're a very busy woman uh you've got a kind of like a well i'll let you describe it but it's called shooting the breeze um, I have I have been thinking about something like this for a little while and I wasn't quite sure of the platform that I wanted to use or what I actually wanted to achieve. Um, but a, a good friend of mine is in, in advertising and one of the guys who works for him sends a, a newsletter essentially via Twitter using, using um, a platform called Review, which is essentially attached to Twitter. Uh, and... It works, it works quite well for the purpose that he, he wants to use it. And, and I looked at it and I actually just kind of like the simplicity of it. For me, I just, people, um, people often ask me, oh, when are you on telly or when, when can I read you or those sorts of things. And, and you can't keep track of everyone. Um, so what I've been doing is essentially, it's, a, it's essentially a weekly newsletter, very short introduction. And then it just links in, you know, Bits of video clips that I've done on Sky over the week. If I've if I've done some radio on Two GB, a link to that so people can listen to that, and then links to whatever I've written, um, in the sense of of published, whether it be on Sky or 
or on um, or in the Daily Telly. Uh, and then at the bottom, I generally kind of have a last word and I, I just pick an issue from that week. And it's just a, a very short opinion piece, maybe a couple of hundred words, um, just, just, giving, just giving that a once over. Um, and, and I find that it's, it's, been, it's been working okay so far. I'm still playing with it, um, but, you know, I've been getting some pretty good feedback on it. It, it is nice and simple. Um, and, and for me as well, it's, it's a good way of just knowing where my stuff is. Um, I feel like, you know, as a content creator and when you're, you don't have your own platform, you're always using other people's platforms, it, it can be a little bit hard to keep track of what you actually do. Yeah, sure. I'll just read a few of these off. You've got uh, some great ones in issue five this week, which is uh, Australia is battling serious political issues at home. Albanese's refusal to discuss them while overseas is bad management. Prince Harry will get dumped when he no longer serves a purpose. That's a cracker. Many people in the community are worried about the ramifications of speaking their mind. That was Caro on Sky News talking about cancel culture. Caro, anything you wanted to add to that before we leave? No, just that if, if anyone wants to read, you can jump onto my uh, Twitter. My handle is at Caro DeRusso. And if you just um, underneath my bio is, um, is a section where you can go on to subscribe. So go on, check it out. You don't like it, unsubscribe. That's what I do. Great. That's uh, C-A-R-O-D-I-R-U-S-S-O. Caroline DeRusso, thanks for coming back on the program. Anytime, mate. It's been too long. It's been way, way too long.